Welcome to Say and Share Soundswave. My name is Vivian Nguyen and I'll be your host for today. Our universe is permeated with nearly massless neutral particles, namely neutrinos, which interact only with weak force and gravity. Trillions of them pass through our body each second without leaving a trace. While neutrinos are by far the most elusive particles in the universe, which have been in detectors with extreme sensitivity. A tremendous amount of them are capable of generating powerfully collective effects. Thus, their odd properties could give a clue to a deeper understanding of the most fundamental physical aspects of cosmology and push the boundary of the standard model. In this podcast episode, we are fortunate to have our guest speaker, Professor Joseph Maggio, who is an experimental nuclear physicist at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT, on board with us to unveil the fundamental properties of neutrinos and share with us his diligent research on these infinitesimal matters. Notably, Professor Formaggio's previous work on the Sudbury Neutrino Observatory helped shed light on the solar neutrino problem, which generated firm evidence that neutrinos have mass. He is also a member of the KATRIN, Katrin, and Project 8 experiment in an approach to directly measure the mass of neutrinos. Welcome to Science Sanswai, Professor Formaggio. Thank you so much. It's great Thank to be for- here. Hmm. Thank you so much. The interplay between neutrinos and cosmology has been particularly engrossed my attention. Professor Formaggio, can you tell us what exactly a neutrino is and the um, initial procedures and techniques that were involved in the detection of neutrinos? Sure. Um, so neutrinos are subatomic particles. In the model that we have for particle physics and nuclear physics, which we refer to as the standard model. It's not a particularly creative name, but it's the one we use. And you can think of the neutrino as sort of the sibling to the electron, which perhaps many of you are more familiar with. However, neutrinos are kind of different from all the other particles. They don't carry charge. So electrons and protons have charges and neutrinos are neutral particles. And that means that they cannot interact the same way as electrons and protons do. They don't see electromagnetic interactions at all because they don't have any charge. They're also different from the, the, the building blocks of protons and neutrons, which we call quarks. Quarks talk to each other uh, through a force known as the strong force, but uh, neutrinos don't do that either. In fact, the only way in which neutrinos talk at all to other particles is through this uh, force that was conjectured back in the 30s um, by, um, by Fermi called the weak force. And it's called weak because Uh, it is so rare for a neutrino to be able to interact with any matter at all. Um, In addition to that, neutrinos appear to have a very, very tiny mass. In fact, when we first thought about neutrinos, we thought they were massless particles. The standard model actually told us that they should be massless particles. Turns out that they're not. Um, but they have a tiny, tiny mass, much smaller than electrons, much, much smaller than protons and neutrons. They're really 
aside from light, which has no mass at all, there are the lightest particles that we know exist. As a result, they're kind of hard to study because they don't like to talk to other particles. And if they don't like to talk to other particles, then it's hard for us to see them. That's good to hear. Could you tell us what sterile neutrino is and why is it believed to be a prime candidate for dark matter? Ah, so, so maybe in other episodes, you may have talked about dark matter and it's this big mystery as to, you know, why galaxies spin the way they do and don't seem to have the right mass. And there's a lot of evidence that dark matter is out there, but we have no idea what dark matter might be. And as a result, people have speculated, well, maybe it's this heavy particle that we don't get to see. We typically call those wimps, or maybe are these super light particles called axions. But some conjecture that maybe it might be a, a type of neutrino that doesn't talk to other particles even more so. That's why they're called sterile. They don't even talk to, they don't talk to anything except other neutrinos, but might have a little bit more mass and out there that could explain some of the dark matter observations that we see. It's just one of many possible ideas that are out there for dark matter. There's a, there's a whole zoo of possible particles because we don't know what dark matter is. is sterile neutrinos is one possibility that's, that's being studied. Absolutely. So how did the works of the Super Kamiokande experiment in Japan measure the characteristic signature of neutrino oscillation? Oh, right. So this was a big experiment at the time. In fact, it, it's actually, it's a physically huge experiment. 50 kilotons of ultra clean water in a, in a mine, though, so, you know, it, it's uh, inside a mountain. And they're instrumented with almost 10,000 or even more of these photomultiplier tubes that image light that is meant to capture when the very occasional time where a neutrino comes in and just that rare event where it interacts with matter. That's why you need like such a vast um, uh, amount of uh, target material, in this case, ultra clean water. And Super Kamiokande was one of the one of the experiments that demonstrated that neutrinos did have a mass. Now, these aren't sterile neutrinos, this is ordinary run-of-the-mill run neutrinos. And what they basically did was, it was a theory that said that if neutrinos have mass, then they should change their, their type from one type to another if they go different distances. So what they did was they sat inside a mine and they looked for neutrinos that were coming from the upper atmosphere straight above the mountain. And they could also see neutrinos that are coming below the ground all the way through the earth as well. Because neutrinos can, in, can go through matter without any problem. So you have this experiment that could see neutrinos that were coming from above and the same type of neutrinos also coming from below. And what they observed through very careful measurements is that as the distance of where the neutrino was created to their detector changed, they could see the, the flavor of the neutrinos changing as well. And this was a very clear signature that neutrinos were undergoing this oscillation 
And one of the consequences of that is that neutrinos have a mass because neutrino, massive neutrinos end up having these changing effects as a function of distance. And supercarmicality was one of the, the definitive measurements made that confirmed that that was the effect that was happening. Yeah, it was a pretty <laughs> remarkable experiment. You should definitely show some pictures of yes, that's very incredible machine. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So I've read that your previous work um, at Sudbury Neutrino Observatory helped elucidate the solar neutrino problem. So how did the Sudbury Neutrino Observatory make its measurement of neutrinos coming from the solar core? Yes. So simultaneous. So supercamicante was meant to address what at the time was known as the atmospheric neutrino problem, which was later solved with oscillations. And it's the same thing. People would try to predict the number of neutrinos they would expect from the atmosphere. They would come up with a different number than was predicted. And that conflict could be resolved with neutrino oscillations. And so Superchemiokande did this beautiful experiment where they looked at the change of the distance of where neutrinos were created that has a very clear signature for oscillations and that's how they confirmed it. Simultaneously to this atmospheric problem, there was another problem with neutrinos, not from neutrinos that were created from the atmosphere, but from neutrinos that were created in the core of the sun. And back in the 50s and 60s, scientists had made a calculation like, look, this is how the sun burns. It turns hydrogen into helium. The process produces a whole bunch of neutrinos right at the core of the sun. If we look at the neutrinos coming from the sun, we should be able to figure out how the sun works and confirm sort of, you know, nuclear burnings. So Ray Davis was one of these neutrino pioneers in the 1960s, produced this experiment called Homestake, which was this giant vat, not quite as big as Super Kamiokande, but 300 tons of cleaning fluid. Um, The cleaning fluid has chlorine. And it turns out that when neutrinos occasionally see a chlorine atom, it will turn into an argon atom. And Ray Davis was a physical chemist, and he knew how to find a single atom of argon in a vat of chlorine. So he did his experiment very meticulously and counted about a, a few atoms per day of argon in this huge vat that he, that he machined. And he came up short of the number of neutrinos that were expected by a factor of three. And people said, oh, well, maybe you, maybe you didn't, you, you missed a few. I mean, you are counting atoms and, or maybe the theory is too complicated and you're not doing the right predictions, but they did careful measurements afterwards. For example, one, uh, one experiment they did is that um, they went ahead and, and put on purpose a few argon atoms into their experiment without knowing what, how many atoms they put in. And then they went through the procedure and extracted exactly how many atoms they had put in in the process. So they were very careful about how they did their measurements, as were the calculations that were predicting that. So you still had this factor of three uh, that, that people couldn't explain. Then other experiments that looked at solar neutrinos have the same problem. And then finally, 
they said, well, maybe it's this oscillations thing. Maybe the neutrinos are changing to a different type that we can't detect. So in comes the experiment I was in, which was called the Sudbury Neutrino Observatory with lots and lots of scientists involved in the project. And they looked for, well, if neutrinos change to a different flavor, let's go look for the other flavors explicitly. So our experiment, which was filled with heavy water, which is an isotope of regular water, you have deuterium instead of hydrogen, is sensitive to all types of neutrino, regardless of what kind they are. And so we could do basically two measurements at the same time. We could look for the one type of neutrino called the electron neutrino in the experiment. And we could also look for the all types of neutrinos at the same time. And the ratio of those two measurements yielded a third, just like Ray Davis uh, had originally seen. It's not quite a third because the energies are different, but essentially it, it gave the same answer as Ray Davis measured. And now again was a signature that neutrinos were changing flavors. And that's how the solar neutrino problem got solved. Then so you put together the solar neutrino solution, which is neutrino oscillations, and you put together the atmospheric problem solution, which was a super Kandi experiment, and you put them together and you get that neutrinos oscillate with this great confidence that it's happening. And the result of that is that you have neutrino oscillations as the mechanism and that neutrinos have mass. That's impressive. <laughs> in the project, eight collaborations in detections of neutrino masses through radioactive tritium beta decay. Your research group has utilized radio frequency techniques to detect um, neutrino mass. Could you discuss more on the operating procedures and how the techniques were implemented and the result that you have yielded? Sure. So now that we know that neutrinos have mass, it'd be nice to also know how much do they weigh. And unfortunately, the oscillation experiments can't tell us that. They measure differences um, rather than the overall amount. So you need other experiments. And there is both the experiments I'm involved in, Katrin, which is located in Germany, and Project Date, which is located in the United States, look for the imprint of neutrino masses in radioactive decay that produce neutrinos. This was, this was a technique that was talked about in Fermi's paper in 1934. So it's a very old way of looking for neutrino masses, but it is the most direct way to do that. And there are lots of different techniques to do it. The Katrin experiment takes electrons and kind of moves them across uh, very precisely so we know how much energy they have. There are experiments in Europe called ECHO and HOMES, and they take detectors and make them really cold so they can measure energies very precisely. And Project 8 uses the fact that anytime you have uh, an accelerating charged particle, which is a byproduct of this decay that you're looking for, produces radiation. And so we have a way to measure that very precisely. And it allows us to stay true to Fermi's original idea to look for the impact of neutrino masses on the spectrum that comes from a radioactive decay. So it's been a lot of fun in terms of setting up an experiment that 
um, have some interesting technology associated with. Awesome. Um, Professor Formaggio, I've read that your group has been developing novel detectors technologies in order to gain an insightful understanding of, of the properties of neutrinos and other exotic particles. Um, one of which is the cryogenic bolometers designed to have a better grasp onto neutrino interaction at extremely low energies. Can you discuss more on the function of this powerful technique and the result that you have obtained somehow? So, you know, there's lots of things we don't understand about neutrinos, and we want to study them in all kinds of ways. So another way you can study neutrinos is you can make you can look for neutrinos basically bouncing off of material and they basically cause a recoil. And one way to think of it is imagine that you have a big bowling ball and you take a ping pong ball, the ping pong ball being the neutrino, and you throw it at the bowling ball. And obviously the, the ping pong ball will bounce away. Imagine just trying to just being able to see the bowling ball move. And that's how little impact these neutrinos have when they bounce. But if you make your target, your quote unquote bowling ball, super cold, then there's a tiny bit of change in temperature as a result of that. And that's a signature for neutrinos interacting with your material. So it's a novel way of doing it. Uh, it's only been kind of discovered that this technique works from an experiment called coherent, um, which got, um, uh, which made this measurement a couple of years ago for the first time. But it's a new way of looking at neutrinos. You don't need these huge experiments like Super Kamiokande to see these types of neutrinos. You can do it with a much smaller setup. So it's been sort of a hobby, well, not a hobby, but I, I do it for work, but it's been fun to explore these new technologies so we get to play with very super cold detectors and try to measure these really tiny changes in temperature. We're just starting, so there's not much to report right now. So it's, it's more uh, research and development to see if these techniques work. Certainly. Um, it's been particularly fascinating to understand how this tiny or almost massless particle can spur a new generations of experiments. Do you think neutrinos have any impactful influences on the evolution of the universe? Yes. So neutrinos, just like in just like ordinary matter, were all created in the early Big Bang. And part of our understanding of how the universe evolved from the Big Bang to today implies understanding neutrinos, how they whether they are massive versus massless. And so they pay, make a, a huge impact in our understanding of, of what we call cosmology. And there's some very beautiful experiments now done looking at the, the microwaves in the sky called the cosmic microwave background that actually can reveal information about neutrinos. There's a lot of experiments and observations now that can you know, you need neutrinos to be part of that picture in order to make all the data make sense. So they definitely have had an impact. And even now we can even use those measurements, again, so accurate that we might even be able to measure the neutrino mass using these, these tools, which is quite amazing considering, you know, 
uh, they're very difficult measurements to make. That was fantastic. Um, you and your group relentless studies on the hunt of this mysterious matter, neutrinos, are absolutely admirable. This invisible neutrino sparks of hopes for insightful knowledge about the evolution of the universe and the solution to a series of unsolved astrophysical problems. Thank you so much, Professor Formaggio, for joining and sharing your, your knowledge with us today. It has well, been fantastic having you on our podcast. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me, and I'm glad we were able to make this work out. Yeah, <laughs> that's wonderful. If you would like to ask us a question about today's podcast or would like to offer your expertise and join us with a guest speaker, please email us at the link in the description box. Thank you for supporting our new podcast, and we hope you have enjoyed listening to today's session. Stay safe and see you soon. Thank you so much.